Hey there, everyone. It's uh, David Barnett. I'm back with another one of the Holiday Chat 2020 calls. This time I'm talking with Dean. And Dean uh, requested a conversation about roll-ups. Dean, uh, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background about what is leading your interest in, uh, in exploring topics around roll-up strategy? Sure, absolutely. Appreciate that, David. Um, so I'm in the process currently of acquiring a business. I'm using uh, your program to do that, and it's doing it's helping me tons. But I always wanted to think ahead of the game. So whether this deal is the one that closes or it doesn't, uh, I, I'm always wondering what's the next step, as opposed to fumbling through it. Once it happens, I'm trying to make sure that if I talk to the team that I'm developing. Uh, I'm asking the right questions and also putting the right people in place ahead of time, as opposed to scrambling once you have a business in your hands. So the business that I, uh, I'm looking at is kind of in the online, let's say firearms um, software uh, space. Mm -hmm. So it, it kind of can take off in different directions. It can go either software or deeper into the, uh, the specific product line and things that are related to it. And I'm just curious to say, if someone is going to build uh, a business, what is the right way they should look at what's the next probable path to go to? Is it something where you're working in that certain space or using the people or the resources or the people that are on your team and working on that strength? Or do you look for something that complements the business or the product or the service that you're doing? Um, I, I know there's different ways, but mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I'm, I know you have a lot of background in that space, in these spaces, and I'm kind of curious how the successful people have thought about that. Yeah, sure. Well, I can, I can talk a little bit to how people have approached this on the main street level. I mean, the people who really work on this strategy tend to be more the mid-market type people, okay. slightly bigger set of businesses. But I, I, I do have experience with people who've been doing this on the main street level. And the very first thing I think we should talk about is the difference between doing a roll-up and building a conglomerate. Okay. Okay. Because it, a roll-up really does sort of mean that you're going to be acquiring multiple businesses that are already kind of the same. Okay. And so if you think about a, a franchise, like a, like a hamburger restaurant, right? You could, you could create a hamburger restaurant and do a really great job at the branding and, and you know, have a really good management system and a really good POS and really good specials and great advertisements on the radio, et cetera. And then you might decide to grow and you might decide, I'm going to grow by buying up independent hamburger restaurants and then putting my branding on them. Mm, okay. so, so it's already a hamburger restaurant, but then you're going to integrate it into the fold to make it like yours. And, and the reason why you're doing this is because you want to build out um, multiple locations and have a uniformity of performance and execution okay. so that you can standardize certain things and get efficiencies of scale. You know, if you had seven different, you know, I know of people who are in the restaurant business who have seven different restaurants with seven different names, right? And so when they plan advertising and marketing, they have seven different ad programs, so there's no, there's no efficiency of scale there. Okay. Right? It's, it's, it's very um, easy to understand. It's seven different independent businesses. Now they might have centralized bookkeeping, centralized HR management, centralized payroll service, centralized purchasing, you know, to try to create efficiencies that make all of those businesses work better together. Okay. Um, but they're not going to get any efficiency of scale through uh, advertising. Right. Gotcha. And, and sometimes you see people try to do this. Like they'll, they'll say, you know, come to one of the locations of the Barnett restaurant group this holiday season. And people like, you know, people aren't <laughs> going to connect with the, the, the way that your corporate, you know, holding structure is set up. Okay. Right. You're and not we, buying a Barnett burger. You're buying a Jimmy, Jimmy's burger. Right. Right. Exactly. So when you, <clears throat> so if you own a business, and you talked about an online business that had to do with the firearm space. Okay. Let's say that you suddenly had an opportunity to buy a business that had to do with uh, archery. Okay. Right? So, so you might see, hmm, there's, there's a lot of complementary aspects between these two businesses. It might make sense for me to acquire that archery related business as well, but it wouldn't necessarily be a roll up. 
it would be you're building a conglomerate. It would be like um, way back when uh, in the 1940s, a uh, big railroad here in Canada, CP Rail, um, they, they saw themselves as being in the transportation business versus the railroad business. And so they eventually started an airline and they got into ocean shipping and, and the, the railway car uh, locomotives and the steamships all used coal. So then they got into coal mining, right? Mm. And so that was a conglomerate. They were going from one business to the next because they saw that they could eke out advantages by being their own customer to a certain respect in certain aspects, right? Okay. Okay. And, and, and that's not quite the same thing as a roll-up. You don't necessarily expect to get the same kind of efficiencies of scale when you're, when you're building a conglomerate. You're looking for something else, which is maybe to secure supply lines or secure um, volume of customers. There's a, a family-owned pulp business here where I live where they have a paper mill. And at one point, you know, years ago, they acquired some daily newspapers. Okay. Right? you know, what, what does a pulp mill have to do with daily newspapers? Well, they wanted to lock in that customer. Gotcha. Right. So it was, it was a different kind of, uh, different kind of decision. So on, on the main street level, um, I've got experience and I've, I I noted down a couple of examples here before the call, because I wanted to just wanted to think about this for a little bit, but there was one case where I helped a client of mine, um, buy a driving school. And it was a driving school that had two offices for two different things. One was a uh, tractor trailer, like commercial truck driving instruction. Gotcha. And the other one was car driving instruction. You know, a lot of teenagers and stuff would be the customers over there and their families. And so he bought that driving school and then he went to uh, down to Halifax and he bought another one there. And he actually took the branding from the Halifax one and applied it to the one here because he wanted to try to build a brand that could have some strength in the marketplace, um, especially in the, the region, the three province area here, there's a lot of television channels that kind of cover all three. Okay. So it would make sense if you had offices in multiple cities, then it would make sense to advertise on television. For example, one buy would cover all of your markets. And so he had two locations and then from there he opened a third as a new starting business in a third city. And then I had someone approach me who owned a driving school in a fourth city and I signed them up and sold it to him as well. And then he put his brand on that one too. Wow. And so, so the reason why it worked so well is because driving instruction is, is a, it's a very easily systematized enterprise. So they have people come in to do classroom sessions and then people get their beginner's permit and then they can do the in-car sessions, right? And the students all would have a standard set of material, a binder with pages in it. And once you get several offices, now you're going through a lot of binders, now you can get them printed with your own logo on them, right? Mm, okay. so, so you start to be able to do these things because your volumes start to increase. And so... So it worked out well for him because he was able to create a standardized way to run each office, standardized org chart, standardized set of roles, operations manual, which said these people do these things, all of the material that ends up in the hands of the students, the materials that the driving instructors use, you know, the checklists and the, the lessons and all that kind of stuff. And so once he had that, and, in, and he basically acquired this through buying these businesses, and as he got his hands on the next one, he would ask himself, are there any best practices being employed over here that we should roll out to the other places we already own? Gotcha. And so he created his own playbook, set of rules, operations, manual, et cetera. Um, and, and then every time he acquired a new one, he would have to uh, superimpose his system over what they were doing before but it also meant that he could make the decision to do a startup office. He could rent a place in a new city and he could open one if he wanted to. Okay. And all the parts were already there. So, you know, you talk about the, what you need to be thinking about if you're going to do a roll up right. is, is you have to get the org chart 
and the, the roles and the job descriptions and the operational systems, all that stuff has to be in place, has to be very strong. Okay. The, the trap that a small business owner can fall into is if you don't have that stuff all put together really well initially, you could go out and you could be, you could be doing half the management stuff in your business. Most small businesses own, owners do half or more of the management stuff in a business. You could then acquire a second one and you could probably stretch yourself between the two. Okay. I saw this. I saw this example once with um, with someone who owned a travel agency, and they opened a second office, and they just split their time between the two places. So they had essentially two jobs. Yeah. So they just uh-huh. doubled their workload, right? <clears throat> Which people can pull off, but not forever. Right. right? It, it, it's a limited time thing, and so you know you have to be able to. Um, as the number of people in the organization grows, the owner needs to spend more and more time at those topmost functions in that org chart. If you think of a pyramid with different people in different roles. Right. And so everyone who's down below you in the pyramid, they really have to know what they're doing um, because you're going to have to delegate to them because if you start to add multiple offices, you're just not going to be able to keep doing all the things that you might do if you had just had one location. Now, yes, if you bring middle level, mid-level management in there, you need to let them know what you expect and the systems they need to supervise over their groups, as opposed to, well, just manage the people. You really yeah. want to have it cookie cuttered so they can step in and quickly make a difference as opposed to, no, now you're essentially bypassing them going back into the trenches to run the business or the individual businesses that you thought you were rolling up. Yeah. Okay. You, you, eventually you want to become like McDonald's. Gotcha. Where even though you own them all, all the offices, each office and they, everybody there knows what they're doing right. and they, they understand what they're, what's expected of them every day. And they have the systems and they have a standard reporting that they use what we call the key performance indicators so that you as the owner can see a basic set of data from all the locations and know very quickly how each one of them is doing mm, okay. and then be able to respond to circumstances when they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so you've got all of the problems associated with growth, which are in a big way is organizational HR type stuff. Okay. All this, all what we're talking about here, systems, job descriptions, tools, right? Systems, organization, HR stuff. And then on top of that, you add the second problem of integration. So as the, as the organizations that you acquire in a roll-up become bigger and more complex. Mm-hmm. So a convenience store might have a manager, one or two full-time employees and a bunch of part-timers, and they have a lot of turnover, right? So, you know, the organization you buy today, a year from now, most of those people will be gone. A different, right? Just because people come and go, right? And so if you come in there and pose a whole bunch of new set of standards, rules and procedures, et cetera, you know, event in a very short order of time, you're going to have all new people anyway, and you'll be able to train them right off the bat in the way that you want things done. And, and so that's going to be easier than if you, you know, I had Terry Lammers on my main uh, YouTube channel and his family had an oil distribution business and they acquired some other locations. Mm-hmm. We talked about it a little bit in that podcast, but they would go and acquire an oil distribution place that would have truck drivers and office staff and the whole, the whole gamut of roles and some of those people were like career employees. So now you're trying to, you're acquiring a business and now you want to integrate it into your existing business okay. and have those people conform to the way you do things and impose your corporate culture over one that may be dissimilar. Hmm. Okay. And that's when you get more complex human resource type problems. Is that when you would... But, but, so if I could back up, because I'm within just a short amount of time, it opened my eyes. My my thought of, and, and I appreciate this, you're drawing that fine distinction between what people commonly throw around saying a roll-up or M&A and what people also kind of conflate with the idea of a conglomerate. If I were to simplify it or distill it down to how I'm thinking, a roll-up would almost be like me buying competitors who are selling that same product. Like I'm a burger shop, they sell a burger. I'm a driving school. There are other driving schools I acquire. Whereas if what I was incorrectly thinking then is 
if I'm buying a certain product, but then I start buying suppliers. So if I'm a dairy farmer, or I sell milk, but then I think I'll buy the farm that produces the, the, the cows are on. Then I buy the delivery service to deliver the milk. That would be a conglomerate because mm -hmm. it's not necessarily my core competence, but there are systems and I guess suppliers that are supporting what I think was my core business that I first bought. Yeah. That would be the difference. And then what you were describing with regards to systemization, job descriptions, and then eventually the complication of HR, you would say, Dean, those things are going to be complications you're going to run into just from doing a roll-up where you've basically bought similar businesses. Imagine if you're doing a conglomerate, you will have not only those complications, but now you're trying to put together dissimilar businesses and dissimilar products and keep things up in the air and running still. Well, but here's the thing is it can actually, the conglomerate can actually be easier. Really? Because wow. let's think about it this way. Let's say I'm thinking about a local company here. Okay. So they, they make frozen French fries. And at, at some point in their history, and I don't know where, <laughs> when, they, they became the owner of a trucking outfit too. Okay. Right? <laughs> so because they needed trucks to move their frozen French fries. Fries, okay. Right? So, so here's the thing is if, if I'm the French fry business and everything I have to do has to do with making French fries and buying potatoes and cutting them and all that other stuff. Right. And then I buy a trucking company. I'm not going to go into the trucking company and try to make the people there behave like the employees at the French fry plant. Okay. They, like if they were a successful trucking company and they had performance and profit and I wanted to buy them, then obviously they know what they're doing. That well, makes sense. Right. Makes sense. So, right. so I'm, I'm probably going to let that, the management team over there continue to do what they're doing. Gotcha. Right. But, but now I get to sort of give them overarching direction, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, keep doing what you're doing because you're making money. And we need to make sure that our deliveries for frozen French fries are prioritized. Huh. Because that okay. meets the strategic aim and the reason why we wanted to acquire a trucking company. So you would say if you do it correctly, you're saying a conglomerate might actually be better than trying to wrestle or I've heard the term herd cats, which would be similar, uh, almost identical businesses, competitors. Now you're trying to make them conform to your way of doing things, your structure. Um, but uh, so each, I guess each one will have its own challenge. Yeah. Its own and, and I don't think it's possible to decide what is better or what is easier because of course, every example in any kind of business would, would be unique. Right? Gotcha. And so- <clears throat> you know, when you said, you know, a roll up is amongst competitors. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the, I mean, that driving school example I gave you, right. they were never interested in buying another driving school in the same town. Oh, okay. So they were only interested in buying driving schools to enter new markets because, because what their idea was is that they built up a strong enough brand and they were able to use television advertising that they could then use marketing to grow their offices at the, at the expense of competitors who didn't have the size and ability to take advantage of things like television. Gotcha. Interesting. Right. So they were, so they wanted to acquire locations to enter a new market. And then they were going to use the same kinds of things that business people have always done to compete with their competitors. Hmm. Okay. I mean, would that make a difference if it was now that's a physical market they went into a certain demographic. Would it be similar if it was an online business? Because online business, my goodness, it seems like it's a global reach at that point. Yeah. Uh, based on what governments would allow you to do, especially in the firearms. I'm sure it'll be a challenge for me if my organization were try to sell in some of products in Russia or other places like that. Is there, is there a difference, a marked difference when it comes to a physical business versus an online type of business? Well, the, the reason why so many people get so excited about online businesses is, is the notion that your one business can build the systems and, and ability to deliver to everybody. Okay. Right. You know, Facebook doesn't have to build a new Facebook in every country. Right. <laughs> right. That's they, true. they, they That's just, true. they built the thing and it's huge. And it, obviously people are under the hood working on it all the time, doing technical stuff to keep it going. But, but you build this one thing. Okay. And then it can just grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And that's, that's the reason why, you know, people in that Silicon Valley space pay such high multiples for these businesses is, is based on this idea 
that they can grow 20, 30, 50, a hundred times. Mm. Whereas, you know, the driving school probably would never be able to. On that multiple, it would get right. a multiple, but I not mean, something it, that's 30X. They're probably going to do great if they grow 10 or 15% a year that, you know, if they can keep that up for years and years and years, they're probably doing an amazing job, <laughs> right? At, 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 at that market. And so, and so it's very different. Um, and, and so this is maybe why you were thinking more along the lines of these other complementary type of businesses, right? Because the, you know, the, 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 the value of any business is in the clientele. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of b- people who buy a business, uh, one of the things I kind of throw out there to them is, you know, buy the business, get it under your control, figure out how to run it make everything go well, and then figure out what else you can sell to those people, mm, okay. the people who are your customers. Because if you, if you can then sell them something else, then they already have a relationship with you. They already are used to doing business with you. Now that's what Amazon did. I mean, they right. sold books and then they tried to figure out what else can we sell? Now they sell everything. Really? So, so in this space, for example, I, I know in the farms industry, one of the biggest one of the toughest things because of a lot of the lockdowns is the product. I mean, you go into certain gun stores, you go into ammunition places, you can't find firearms. Uh, it's huge on the secondary market right now. And in fact, I just went to a gun show on the weekend and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of similar type of guns, but they're new manufacturers that you didn't see before because the old tried and true people, uh, they weren't able to produce. So other people are coming into the market. But what I'm noticing is if you want a variety or a harder to find a type of firearm, you have to find on the secondary market. And in the, in the business that I'm looking at acquiring, or we're currently in an LOI, we're submitting an LOI, or we're in that uh, period right now. One of the things they expressed to us is there is a challenge, and it's not just with this one, but the other, other businesses that I had looked at in the same space, the hardware that some folks use along with the software, there's a shortage. And the people who were smart enough, who bought a lot of the hardware to begin with, they're okay. They're not having to, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, not, have to, not having to worry about deferred revenue. They're actually able to sell the software and the product. What triggered me to think of doing, I guess, incorrectly, a roll-up, uh, now I'm thinking it's probably in a conglomerate, is if I was going to sell or purchase or next acquisition would have been the folks producing the hardware to work with it, would that make it easier for me to say, hey, I've now, like the French fry guy, have priority to sell the product or the hardware to my customers buying my software and other people want to buy that uh, hardware? Yeah, they can buy it for me, but my business, my software gets priority to my customers directly. Mm. And, and yeah. that's, that's what I, where I was thinking about doing the roll-up, but I think I, I hear it correctly. It's probably more of a conglomerate. For that. Yeah. And, and, and here's, the, here's the other challenge okay. is that if that hardware producer is producing hardware for other people with similar software solutions, right. And you acquire them, then are those other software providers going to continue to buy from them by, by acquiring that business, you could be, if you can't create the demand sufficient to keep them busy, you could be causing a reduction in their sales because of other people making strategic decisions about their own business. So they're saying, Hey, Dean bought the supplier of the hardware. Um, Well, then we're not going to buy from that supplier anymore. We're going to find someone else. And what looked like a good hardware supplier. Now his revenues are diminished because the customers who were previously there are walking away saying, I'm not buying from a competitor. Essentially, Yeah. Like, so, so think about my French fry factory example. Okay. Let's say there were two French fry factories. Okay. And the trucking company was hauling for both of them. And then factory A bought the trucking company. Well, now every load that factory B ships with them puts money in the pockets of company A. Yeah. Right. So, so they're going to go, Oh my God, like, do we have a contract? Are we locked in here? We need to start shipping with trucking company B. Gotcha. Right, because they they won't want to have something as strategic as delivery of their their product in the hands of a competitor. Okay, right. Wow. It's like a huge chess game. Then you t- move one you move one pawn, it changes the the uh, I guess the play or the strategy on the chessboard. Hmm. So just because something a complementary or a another business looks good, 
by buying it, you essentially could kill it because the customers don't want to, your customers are your competitors and they're going to go find some other way to subsidize. Yeah, there's a, there's a, uh, I'll give you a great example. There's a software company near where I live that produces um, booking and scheduling software for airlines. Okay. For typically smaller airlines. In, not, not the big Sabre company, but... A- yeah, like not the big main haul carriers, but smaller ones. Because here in Canada, we have a lot of small airlines that run up in the Arctic and stuff like that. And so these guys produce software for airlines. And I, you know, I, I said to him one day, I said, you know, why would someone buy from you? Aren't there a whole bunch of other solutions out there? Mm-hmm. And he said, here's what happens. He said, the big airlines, the big mainline airlines, what they'll do is they'll say, we want to have control over our solution. So we're going to develop our own scheduling and booking software, Mm -hmm. and then we'll sell it to other people. Right. That's how they justify getting into the software business and and undertaking (laughs) the huge expense of creating their own thing. When they finally get it worked out and it always takes longer, it's always harder and always costs more money than anyone (laughs) ever thinks. Right. And when they finally get it worked out, well, which one of, you know, American airlines competitors wants to use their booking system. Right. And then, you know, then you're like, well, would they then know how many people were carrying between New York and Dallas? Right. Would they have the information they need to compete better with us? Do they have right? the backdoor information? So none of the other airlines are going to want to buy it. And so he was saying how the company he worked at, you know, they, they do very well because this is all they do. And, you know, they've got a contract which says they're going to keep everyone's data separate mm-hmm. and they have an interest in making sure they have as many customers for their own customer concentration problems. So they would never help one of their customers maybe buy another one or, or compete against somebody else. Mm, gotcha. You know, they're, they're just providing the service. And, and, and that's, that is a consideration anyway when you're thinking about this. So, so if someone is planning... And again, I, I want to be cautious. First, I should acquire my first entity or first business. And then, Ben, now you can start dreaming again. Excuse me. Um, I start dreaming again. But my thought was, where does one begin to look to see within their business they currently have? What is the next move to make? Well, or when do they know they're ready? When do they know they're ready for that? The, the, the first thing you have to do is make sure that you can run it and you're running it well. Okay. Right. And, and then there's a couple of different ways you can think about a business. You know, there's a, there's the SWOT analysis, right. right? Strength, weakness, opportunity, and threat. But then if you're, if you're thinking that you want to buy another business, then you can also look at doing a value chain analysis. Okay. So who's above you and below you in the value chain? Who do you buy from? Who do you sell to? If you sell to end users, then then you're at the end. You're at the bottom end of the chain. But if you are in a business that sells to other businesses, then there's a, a value chain that carries on from you. And you kind of look at who are the players above and below you and does it make sense for you to grow in one direction or the other? Okay. For, for any business that wants to go and, and acquire another business, um, you know, some general rules is number one, you want to make sure you're making money every year. Gotcha. You, it has to be absolutely clear to everyone, um, especially to a banker, right? That you know what you're doing in business A. And then if you're, if you're making money every year and your balance sheet is getting stronger, so your debts are declining, your assets are growing, your equity is growing in the business, what, what you can eventually do is, is your balance sheet can become strong enough that you can leverage your own equity in company A that mm-hmm. you own in the acquisition of company B. And so you can actually borrow more to acquire the new company than a new entrant could, someone just starting from scratch for for several reasons. Number one, the seller of company B is going to see that you know how to run a business. They're going to be more open and more willing to do some kind of seller financing. Number two, a banker who you ask for a loan to buy company B may look at the combined operations of both entities. Mm, okay. So that the balance sheet strength in your existing company could serve as part, part of the collateral quote unquote for the loan. Okay. So you could end up borrowing more from a bank than if you were just a new person off the street buying a business. And, and 
as you, once you do number the, this first acquisition to grow, then once you get that new one under your belt and it's operating well, and you are profitable and the balance sheet grows again, you know, strengthens again, then the next time you want to do it, you're in an even better position because now you can show the owner of company C that not only do you know how to run the business, you've actually done an acquisition and executed an integration before. Gotcha. So it just, it just snowballs. It gets bigger and bigger. Yes. You're, you're knocking out because you're financially, you know how to run a business. You prove to the bank financially you're a good risk or not your lower risk. And the third guy you're going to look at moving to purchase, he, he can say, yeah, this, this M&A or this roll-up is not going to be as painful because he's done it before and it was successful. Yeah. So um, I did an appraisal because I'm, I'm a certified machinery and equipment appraiser. I sometimes mm -hmm. get hired by banks here in the region to go out and do evaluations of equipment. So there's a, a garbage company around here. Um, and they were eventually acquired, but for a long time, they were going through acquisition. Okay. And what they would do is there's a lot of rural areas where someone will have two or three garbage trucks and they'll get a contract and, or a few contracts and they go out and collect stuff. And that was what was happening. This garbage company actually had a VP of acquisition mm, okay. because they, so they did that it. That was their growth strategy then. That, that was their growth strategy. So okay. they, they did it so much that they actually had a person because looking for a business and analyzing a business businesses and talking with lenders and everything can be a full-time job. Yeah, I can see that. And, and so, so as the business grows, if you're the owner, you know, there's the demands of managing the business. You have to have your org chart in order. You have to have all the job descriptions and everything in order so that you can delegate things to other people you're left making the strategic and, you know, decisions only an owner can make. And then you have to do all the work of looking for analyzing and, you know, the deal making, et cetera. Uh -huh. I get, I guess until you get to the point maybe where you have someone that does that too, which is what this, this garbage removal company was doing. You know, they, they had an employee who was in charge of this acquisition stuff. Gotcha. So it, it, it seems like there is really no, uh, there's no hard and fast rule to say it's a certain amount of revenue you make. Uh, it's X number of years you've been in. It's really a matter of earning your lumps here where you're proving to the other parties that's going to be involved in this dance that you're a good risk or you're definitely a, a person who can handle this type of acquisition. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I the idea of a roll up is a very simple idea to understand. Right. It sounds, it sounds simple, but there are, it's the execution. Yeah. I That's really, that really hard, right? And so you could buy a business and you could have two good years and then you could start to look for your acquisition and then there could be some kind of thing in the economy like what we saw in 2020, right? completely out of your control and all of a sudden your track record's messed up and you don't have time to go looking for opportunities because you're in fire control mode, right? Okay. And now you've got a hiccup in your numbers. And so, so... And maybe because you were affected, other people in your industry were affected too. Right. You know, if, if you're, if you've got all that stuff built out, you know, if you have all that, um, all the systems, all the job descriptions, all that kind of stuff built out here in 2021, if someone were in an industry that was negatively impacted by, by what's been going on, they could maybe buy the assets of someone in their industry yeah. who's closing. I, can, I hear that. Yeah. And, and do a startup with, you know, stuff bought inexpensively, maybe even hiring on some people that used to be employees over there. Okay. Right. And, and it's somebody who's got all the pieces in place, like this driving school example I gave you, you know, if there was a uh, economic downturn in the driving instruction industry, right. and somebody somewhere closed and this guy could come in and buy a bunch of the, you know, the, instructors cars that are used get them for a good price and get that office open you know inexpensively people employed as well right I mean, yeah i mean there's there's still risks because if there wasn't enough business for the previous operator to stay open then you know if, if we're not buying an existing business we often don't know what the problems were because yeah, true. we can't talk to someone we can't look at the books etc Maybe they were financed incorrectly. Maybe they made some other poor decisions. 
But if we've got everything documented, written down, et cetera, it's easier to move and to take advantage of opportunities. Okay. Because then you can quickly hire a whole bunch of people, say, these are your roles. Here's how we do it. Here are the forms we use. Here's the, here are the instructions or the, the videos, you know, that you watch and this is how we do it. And you can roll out very quickly. So really, I mean, if I, if I hear this, I know it's a very cliche expression, but this is where by the t- an indicator that you're ready for this next growth uh, spurt or growth move is you're no longer the guy working in the business. You're really, you really need to be in a situation where you're working on the business and you have those systems and practices all in place so that the complexity is uh, the complexity has multiplied, but you have things that help you handle those things as opposed to always having to go to the store, going to the storefront or getting your fingers into gears. You really want to be in the position where you can work on the business, not in the business, cranking the wheel to make money come out. Well, it, 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 it depends because let me give you another example. This is, a, okay. this is another example I just thought of now. Um, a company that I've worked with a lot over the last few years, they're in the sign industry and they have one facility where they make the signs. But what's happening is they've got other locations in other cities where there are installers and salespeople. So, so they're growing, but they only still have one production facility. And they were, I was working with them a little while ago because they were looking at acquiring an existing sign business in a new place. Okay. And what they were going to do was just keep the salespeople and the installers working. And they were just going to add that production workload to their main facility. So the owner of the business is in the main facility and they can keep an eye on everything going on with respect to, you know, the manufacturing and, materials and all that kind of stuff. And so that person, you know, is working in their business more than what you're kind of talking about now. Okay. But they can still grow because they've figured out how to not work in the sales and installation roles. Mm, Gotcha. And so, so they're growing, you know, the, the opportunity to produce this stuff by adding these new satellite locations and new markets. Okay. Now that's a, you know, when I first started down this idea of talking about um, roll-ups or M&As, you're right. The concept sounds very easy to learn. I mean, I I remember watching the video that you had on YouTube about the idea of that and also about people, hey, why don't you work on the business instead of in the business? And Mm -hmm. you made it very clear. It's nice, but you've got to master a lot of things before you can really let your hands off and you never really walk away from it. You're always partly involved because it is your business. And that, that's why, I mean, uh, you know, I could see growing a business through revenue. You can grow it that way, but I've always heard, and again, a lot of the gurus say it's, it's good to do a roll up or M and a, and they throw those terms loosely, but I, I like it. And I, I'm, I'm still kind of in a daze. A lot of information came through here there is a finite difference. There's a true difference between a roll-up and a conglomerate. Yeah. But then there is also, regardless of which way you go, there are things you need to take in consideration because now the challenges and the complexities have multiplied. And the first thing you need to do is make sure you have systems in place to really help you manage these things. I think, I think Dean, for a person in your position mm-hmm. where you don't own the business yet. Right. So, so you're thinking about what are my moves going to be three or four moves ahead. Right. When you get your hands on the reins of the business, right. you're going to have to become an expert in that business. You're going to have to, you know, master a lot of things in that business. I think the key idea though, is just to know that these potential growth strategies exist. Gotcha. So that when, you reach the point where you're like, I think I've got this down under control now and we're making money. We're paying down our debts. We're growing our balance sheet. We're more and more solid every day. I feel like I've got the bandwidth to take on the next thing. What's it going to be? And, and, and having experience in the business, you're probably already going to have an idea at that point, what the next thing should be. Gotcha. Right. Right. And so, you know, it, it highly depends on the industry that you're in. 
and, and being an expert in that business, what, um, where people miss opportunities is when they don't know a thing is a possibility. It is, is a different take than trying to look for your first business because you have some footing in there and you have some experience in this, in, in a certain space, but it is, it, it presents its own challenges then. You yeah. see. And, and sometimes, you know, talking about conglomerates, sometimes people look at the idea of a conglomerate within the scope of the business that they're operating in, trying to think about what other business should I add that's going to give me some kind of efficiencies but there's, there are other types of conglomerates. Individual business owners can look at it from the, the point of view of their own personal wealth diversification. So I spoke on the telephone with somebody a few weeks ago who's in the software and IT space, and they talked with me about buying a liquor store. Oh, okay. <laughs> it, you know, I don't know if there could be any efficiencies really <laughs> between the two. But, but the reason why they were interested is because they've done really well in IT and technology. Right. And they have cash accumulated and they know that it's a can be a volatile world with things that change rapidly, but they know people are still going to be wanting to buy scotch in 10 years time. So maybe the liquor store is a good place <laughs> to put some of their wealth to diversify themselves right. personally. Gotcha. Right. And, and this is why you get... Um, Business people who are successful operating businesses who instead of growing their business by adding other businesses or growing to other locations, they start to take some of that surplus out of the business and they'll buy apartment buildings or commercial real estate. Like they'll start to invest in other things that are removed from the enterprise in case something happens to the enterprise. Gotcha. So they diversify not just within the, uh, I guess the diversified piece of business versus stocks versus uh, precious metals within the business world, they're diversifying those feet, those, uh, their portfolio there. Mm -hmm. For example, like you said, the guy doing IT and then he's going into um, liquor sales. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so, so all of this is driven by, you know, the individuals, the, the business owners, because you could take money out of a business and buy other investments yourself or you could leave money in the business and diversify that business through acquiring other things. And it's just a matter of what makes more sense for that individual. And ideally you have someone who can give you some really good advice, a really competent CPA that knows your business and knows your personal tax situation and can help you talk through these different scenarios. Okay. No, that, I mean, this is really good, David. Uh, it's just something that I mull over on the weekends or at times when I'm thinking, yeah, we're working towards this, uh, you know, certain first purchase of a business, get, get that under control. But it's, oh, my mind is always wondering, okay, what's next? Where, when you get this, should you, because I've always heard the time to think about selling a business and maybe it's a cliche was five years ago. If you hadn't started getting your systems and your books in, in order, it, you should you should be doing that. And I said, well, maybe it's also a case where while you're doing that and getting the right systems in place to make sure you're managing your existing business, what do you do with regards to um, your next move? I hear you say it could be add, yeah. add more products, add more things that you can sell the existing customers as well. But the organization piece is the key because, you know, what is the disadvantage towards organizing your business such that it could be sold at any time? There's no disadvantage. Yeah, no. And that I can think of. Right, right. And a better organized business that has better systems and 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 things in place so that people are more clear about what it is that they're supposed to be doing and you can observe more clearly what's going on in the business. That business is almost certainly going to be easier to run and become more profitable. Mm, gotcha. Right. The 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 online course I have build a business that people will want to buy, uh, which is over at easysmallbizsystems.com for anyone who wants to look it up um, is all about that. And I get called a couple of times a year to be a guest speaker for different management groups of people that own businesses because they want help figuring that stuff out. And it's not difficult if you have a plan. And that's what I, that's what I teach in that program is, is the steps. Step one, do this. Step two, do this. Um, 
people will sometimes hire HR consultants mm-hmm. who will come in and create an org chart with people's names on it. And then like job descriptions for those people. And that's not how you do it. What the, those types of things end up in a binder and they go on a shelf and nobody looks at them. <laughs> what, what is required is an, is a drawing of the organization based on roles. Okay. And this is what is described in uh, the Michael Gerber book, E-Myth. You want an org chart which has roles because in the beginning, the owner's name is in almost every box. And as you grow, you offload boxes to other people. Gotcha. So that you can spend more and more and more time at the, at the point up at the top while other people are doing the things down below. Okay. And I heard, I heard you man, uh, mention that uh, easysmallbiz.com. What other, uh, what are the other classes or uh, products that you have there to help someone? Let's say you purchase the business now. And I remember you, I think I read somewhere you have a, a product or a service where you help someone come up with a plan, uh, like a three-year plan, one-year plan. Are there things to help uh manage or create the roadmap that you're going to use to help operate that business framework? Or is that something you would just adopt from your existing, the, the business that you just purchased? So, so that, that program, uh, easy, small biz, uh, easy, small okay. is all about systems and organizations. Okay. So that is the one probably. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then there, I've got another one about cash flow forecasting. Okay. Which is about creating business plans and, and forecasts and, that one's at bizplanschool.com. Um, both of those are very useful for anyone who already owns a business. A lot of people have will take those programs before they buy a business so that they've got an understanding of what they want to do once they get, get it in control with the systems. Um, with the cash flow forecasting course, uh, that's very useful for people to to plan and acquisition because you can figure out what what you can afford and if it makes sense and then you also are building everything you need to present to a banker if you're going to get a loan to do the to buy the business and the reason i'm asking about that is i could tell just from working with uh the sellers of the business that i'm looking at you know they have things in quickbooks i think uh the one of the primary owners does it himself and then maybe once a year i was telling my accountant and uh the the, the guy who's going to do this the financial review I was saying, I, I think they do their stuff in QuickBooks, but then they go once a year and pay their accountant to pay the taxes or hand, take care of the books. I'd much rather have it where, like you said, here's the documents. If I ever have to have uh, to sell it or present, or even just see it myself so I can follow it. I want it simple and laid out so that it's, it's not something I have to change gears all of a sudden and say, okay, it's time to sell the business. It's something that easily flow into if the opportunity came in there. So for the way that you use a cash flow forecast, with the financial statements um, monthly that your business is producing mm-hmm. is that you, you create a forecast based on what you think is going to happen. Okay. And then as the months actually tick by and you get your reports from your business, you go and you put your actual performance, either you either change your cash flow forecast to put in the actual performance numbers, or you run with a two column system where you can see what you forecast in column A versus the actual in column B. So plans versus actual at that point. Yes. Okay. And so if you've ever worked in a large company that worked with budgets mm-hmm. and maybe they used the calendar year and halfway through they're like, oh, we have to do a review because our sales are off by a certain amount. Right. And if we can adjust our expenses, we can still hit our profit number and we'll still be okay. Right. Those guys are are using a forecasting tool, comparing it with the actual performance. And when they see that things are off, then they adjust behavior. Mm, okay. you know, when I worked in one big company, you always had to go do your business traveling in the first half of the year because by July, they were probably going to cut business travel. Because <laughs> it was always the easiest thing to, to stop. Gotcha. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so, but what they're, what they were doing is they were keeping an eye on where are we going? How are we tracking? Because they wanted as, as, you know, as best they could to hit the profit target. And, you know, if the managers, and when I was in that situation, the, the people two or three levels up for me, if they could hit the profit, then, oh, yeah. then they knew everything was going to be okay. <laughs> and if they couldn't hit the profit, 
then they were going to figure out a way to, to say it was my fault, right? Or there you, <laughs> what happened. I think so, that's why I always dreaded end of month close or end of quarter close. Those things, oh my goodness, here, I'm going to be standing tall before the man explaining yeah. what went on here. But most small businesses are not looking forward at all. Hmm. You know, the, the owner is busy managing the day-to-day and not spending any time comparing what the actual performance was versus what he planned to do for the year. And if they do any looking at it, what they're looking at is they're looking at past. So they'll say, oh, was, was June good this year? Let's compare it with June last year. Year over year. And if it shows an improvement, they pat themselves on the back. Uh, whereas they shouldn't be surprised, right? They shouldn't be surprised. They should have seen that coming. Well, the real question is back on January 1st, where did you want to end up in December? <laughs> no, because, because businesses that never make a plan to grow if you're just gambling or on, on hoping that you grow by luck, right? then you're not going to have any control over the outcome. But if you, if you actually have a plan of where you want to end up, then you can see how you're performing versus your plan, which allows you to cognitively understand that you need to make a change if you're not going to hit your plan. Gotcha. If there's no plan, there can be no cognition of a lack of being on target. So there, there's no way to react and improve your, your circumstances if you don't even know where you're aiming for, mm. right? You know, you mentioned firearms, right? Right. Yeah. How do I know if I'm not aiming correctly? Well, the target's painted up there. With exactly. Certain, we, we can very clearly tell if we're hitting the middle dot or not. Right. No, that's a good analogy, uh, right? especially the line of business I'm looking at doing. Yeah. You've got targets if, everywhere. If we went target shooting just by putting up blank sheets of paper, you know, all that we, this is a great analogy. <laughs> all that we would be able to, to determine is how closely we grouped the, the, the holes at the end. Right. And that's exactly the most, the position a lot of small business owners are in because they look at it after the fact and they go, wow, 10 years in a row, I've been within 10% of, you know, performance that's all they're able to determine is how well they're grouped i guess worse comes to worse all you hear if you don't even have targets all you hear is a bang and you don't know yeah like i heard it it blew up that's about it (laughs) but that's good david i mean this is always good i I mean just from the very beginning you you changed the way i was thinking about pull-ups and conglomerates you added additional things for me to think about again i know uh, maybe it's thinking too too far ahead before the acquisition of the business, but I don't like getting surprises. Mm. And I like knowing, Hey, this is what your next step should be. So plan systems plan, knowing what your, what your books are, come up with a plan. That's why this has been, this has been invaluable. Um, <laughs> I, I, I always tell my wife, I just had a talk with David and I'm kind of, uh, it was a mental workout in my head. So this is always good. This is always great. And then, <laughs> Yeah, this is good. I'm, I'm excited. I can't wait to get started. I just wish, I just wish the, um, I should be careful to wish for, but I just wish the, the whole process would go a lot faster, but I said, no, it, it's going at the right speed. It needs to be, don't push it. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck with your deal. And, right. and, and thanks for booking this. It was a lot of fun and uh, I hope you're having a Merry Christmas. Uh, you too, David. Uh, thanks for the knowledge. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye.